Ah, the sounds of business. But what you can't hear is energy efficiency hard at work. At Georgia Power, we know that the easiest way to lower energy costs is taking simple steps to save energy, like opening the blinds during the day to take advantage of natural light and replacing lighting with LED fixtures and bulbs, a cost-effective and energy-efficient solution. Get savvy on saving energy with more energy efficiency tips, programs, and rebates. Visit georgiapower.com slash commercial savings today. This is Life Admin Life Hacks, a podcast that gives you techniques, tips, and tools to tackle your life admin more efficiently, to save your time, your money, and improve your household harmony. I'm Dinah Rowe Roberts, an operations manager who trains as an accountant, so I find these money mindsets quite interesting, but probably a little bit woo-woo. I'm Mia Northrop, a researcher and writer who fell down a fascinating woo-woo rabbit hole when I started to tune into my relationship with money and found it was that of a neglected boyfriend. <laughs> In this episode, we interview Nicole Alessios to peer under the surface of how we think about and manage money. Hello and welcome to Life Admin Life Hacks. Listeners, we've hit the final episode for Season 7. We're recording this in June 2022. It's the middle of winter. I'm wearing an Udi. It's the start <laughs> of the school holidays. And Dana and I are looking forward to crawling into a cosy, warm cocoon and taking a hiatus in what has been a thrilling yet hectic year. Yeah, so thanks so much for listening. And in particular, thanks to Else8771, who recently left us this five-star Apple podcast review. She wrote, this podcast is a relatively new discovery for me but has been incredibly helpful, so has made it to my must-listen list. I've listened to some episodes multiple times because I really want the information to sink in. Thanks so much for these generous words, and we love that you're allowing yourself time for the new habits and tactics to stick. Change does take time, and, you know, even our life admin is is continuously evolving. So we'll kick off Season 8 later in the year, and in the interim, give you all time to delve into the episode archives to streamline your tools and processes and crack on with your to-do lists. We've been so grateful too that our book Life Admin Hacks continues to find its audience with both young adults feeling the weight of life admin for the first time and stressed out parents looking to optimise their life admin setup. If you've grabbed a copy, a million thanks. Let us know what's worked for you and tell a friend. And we've also been loving our regular ABC Sydney radio slot with Cassie McCulloch. You might have heard us on mornings if you live in the area. And I think we really want to stage an intervention with Cassie. She's kind of our dream life admin makeover candidate. So it's a joy to field calls on the talk back with her. And of course, we've been loving interviewing all sorts of experts on the podcast this season about different aspects of life admin and sharing their expertise with you and expanding our take on how best to approach this homework of life. And today's episode is no different. One of the biggest benefits of getting your life admin organized is that it can save you money. So through things like budgeting, but also sorting out your tax and comparison shopping for major household expenses. But money is an area where people bring complex feelings, childhood lessons and personality traits to the decision making. Having the right apps and processes will get you most of the way there, but recognizing when your behaviors when it comes to money is also important. So in this bumper episode, so strap in, we talk to Nicole Alessios and she reveals the taboo that still surrounds talking about money, which can really limit our financial literacy, what your money stories and money mindsets are, and the eight money archetypes Nicole uses in her work 
to describe your predisposition with money. If you wonder why you behave like you do when it comes to money, this ep is for you. Nicole is an economist, money mindset coach and speaker who is passionate about helping women find their voice so they can have easier money conversations firstly with themselves and secondly with their clients. Nicole supports socially minded women to have easier money conversations through money mindset coaching and also helping them set a clear and achievable strategy which is in alignment with their unique money personality. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Really keen to to chat to you about particularly like maybe we should get started on why it's hard for people to talk about money and and how women in particular, you know, should value their own time more. Mm, That's a great question. I think it's a lot of conditioning, so societal conditioning. And for women, we've been conditioned to think that talking about money makes you greedy and perhaps less genuine. And if you're talking about money, that perhaps your intentions and your motives aren't necessarily to help people. So there's often this connotation that it has to be like one Mm. or the other. There are a lot of women feeling like they need to choose. So the phrase, it's not about the money, is something I hear about quite a lot. But I think it's important to remember that in order for it to be sustainable, in order for your work to be sustainable and impactful and inspiring other women and women that come after you, but it needs to be sustainable. And money is simply an energy that helps us to sustain that. But I believe that a certain paradigm that we're in right now wants women to think that they have to choose. And what that then leads to is women feeling like they're burnt out, they're exhausted, they're not making money and they can't go on anymore. So they really like what they're doing or they're enjoying their careers, but they're just exhausted, you know, feeling like they have to do it all and that they don't want to necessarily sound or be perceived as you know, money hungry. I say it in inverted commas because, you know, that's a bit mm. dirty. It's not how, it's not very feminine. It's really interesting some of the those emotions that come up when people talk about money and that societal conditioning in terms of people thinking it's it's impolite, you know, it's not etiquette to talk about money. But it means that we sometimes we grow up in households where it's not discussed. We don't have, you know, good financial literacy. It's hard to start making decisions uh, and people don't feel empowered to manage their own money and manage their personal finances and can start making quite irrational decisions when it comes to, to things around their income or, or their expenses or, or you know, other aspects of their personal finances. How did you get into this, actually? How did you get to be a money coach? How was money discussed when you were growing up? So I studied economics at uni, and which is all about markets really and what influences people to spend and from a macroeconomic level and then down to a microeconomic level so that was really fascinating looking at how we look at you know what makes people spend more and what's consumer confidence and when we see other people spending we want to spend and seeing that on a global scale playing out so i guess consumer psychology in a way as for how money was spoken about when i was growing up i grew up in a greek migrant household So money was something that was to be respected. I heard words like money doesn't grow Mm -hmm. on trees. You've got to work hard. That's what you've got to do. It's not something my dad still says to me is, you know, it's not how much money you're making. It's what you're doing with it. Mm. And I think, you know, the way I grew up was seeing my parents make really smart money decisions, but also, you know, erring on the side of frugality, right? Because it was about survival Mm -hmm. for them really. And we retain money stories and money habits. And if you've come from nothing per se, and you're all about survival, then when you have 
more. You don't necessarily just revert out of survival and start living abundantly. Like that also takes mindset mm. work. The same thing if you want to make more and you don't have more. So it's interesting seeing how I grew up and my conditioning around money and then also my privilege, mm. you know, like let's not ignore the fact that I'm a white privileged woman and there's a different relationship with money there. So it's interesting observing it as a child and now observing it as an adult who studies money mindset. You know, I can still see my parents, you know, thinking that things need to be harder or working harder and they're retired, mm. but just sort of that relationship definitely is still that money relationship or that money story, like that you've got to work hard or that you've got to hustle or that, you know, things might come easy, you've got to sweat for it. It's definitely still something that I see in how they make their choices and decisions yeah. about money. If they listen to this, they probably be like, oh, don't. <laughs> well, that's it. That's the powerful thing about money stories. It's these beliefs that you, yeah. sometimes you don't even know that you have these beliefs. And it wasn't until last year where I really leaned into all things financial and started reading about this and met you and, and thought about my money story and sitting back thinking, you know, what did I hear growing up about how you earned money or how important it was to save money or where money comes from or what, or what, or what you know, what money is for, what is, what's worth spending on. It was fascinating. Yeah. And I, yeah, you start to question those beliefs because they are just beliefs. You know, everyone has different ones. There's no right way. And, you know, our childhood conditioning around money is so mm. strong, you know, so what we see our parents do, we start to absorb. And I know we're going to talk about money blocks, limiting money stories down the track, but it was really obvious to see one of my limiting money stories is definitely something that I've inherited from my parents. You know, I remember making great money in my business, but sitting at my computer for eight hours because I felt mm. guilty to be like, I've worked three hours. Like that felt lazy you know, to get up and then go out for coffee for the day because that's not how my parents mm. worked, you know? So it was interesting being able, firstly, being aware of it and then being like, how do I stop this? Like I can sense that I'm just mindlessly scrolling for the last two hours. I haven't really done much. Mm. You know, we all sort of start to pot out or do things and I could see it. I was like, oh, that's me resisting ease. Know where that came mm. from. It's, it is very interesting because when I was growing up, we never talked about money at all. It was completely a taboo topic. And then as I got a bit older and I trained as an accountant, Nicole, so, you know, I guess got quite, you know, deep into finance and got into corporate finance. And so at one point I started to help my parents with their financial affairs and all of a sudden I learned what their financial situation was and it was like, you know, a complete surprise to me, I guess, in terms of what their financial position was. I sort of knew nothing. Yeah. And actually really it did sort of change a lot of things that I thought, you know, because once I knew more about their situation. And so it's a really interesting one of how much you talk to your kids about how much money you've got and at what age they can understand the complexity of some of these things. So I think that's also a really tricky thing Absolutely. to try and figure out how much to share when, when are they ready to know how much information. Absolutely. And the most important thing is to try I don't have children of my own yet, but I've got nieces and nephews and it's, you know, making children feel comfortable with money from a young mm. age, you know, not like, oh, that's dirty. Don't touch that. You know, like, you know, sometimes you hear like my parents had a cash business. So, you know, don't like it's money, you know, that connotation like, oh, that's dirty. Don't touch coins or go wash mm, your hands. Interesting. And it's sort of like, yeah, it's interesting observing that looking back because at the time it doesn't feel like yeah. anything. But then you go back and you're like, you know, money has this thing like it's dirty, like our subconscious mind holds on to things without us knowing. 
Yeah, I was just thinking with my kids, like it's very rare that they actually handle cash. And for them, money is so abstract because it's literally mummy waving her phone over a little console or, you know, they have their little cards that they they have. It's such an abstract concept in some ways. So that's, you know, there's a whole bunch of other challenges there in terms of them and their relationship with money. But I want to steer the conversation back. One of the things you said just before was how women can often feel sort of burnt out, that idea that often people feel like they just have to work really hard all the time and they resist ease. They resist anything that feels easy. And I I guess when we're talking about life admin, there's one of the questions we get all the time is how do you find the time to do it? And we find that women often don't value their own time. They are trying to do so much and they're quite reluctant to outsource, for example, or get help. How can women in particular value their own time more? Well, I think it's firstly having that awareness that, you know, there's this hustle and grind culture and there's this strong association that stress equals success, right? If you see bumping to someone in the middle of the street, how are you? And like, oh my goodness, this is happening. That's how, you know how mm. it is. And, you know, they're implying that they're busy and overloaded. We then respond or you respond back equally. I feel you totally get it. So we then respond with our own glorification of stress and, you know, how busy we are and how important we are. So I think first and foremost is going, what's my relationship with stress? Is stress like a badge of honour for me, right? Is stress a badge of honour? And if so, why? Where did I learn that being stressed, and by that I mean not having time, not having the luxury of time, not having space, where did I learn that that made me important or perhaps that made me mm-hmm. worthy because it meant I was working hard, you know, working 12-hour days, 10, doing this, taking the kids, doing that. Like where did that come from? So I think firstly it's that awareness of where did that story come from for you and secondly asking yourself if you want to participate in that story. Right, because it's about making conscious decisions and conscious choices. Do I want to participate in that glorification of stress equals, or the, I call it the glorification of busy? Mm-hmm. Do I want to participate in the glorification of busy? Because I know that is actually not me leading with my soul's work. That's actually me leading with my ego. Because when I say I'm busy, people go, oh my God, she's mm-hmm. important. Do, why do I need that? Because I remember saying to one of my clients, you know, what about when you bump into people? What about saying, you know, you had a nap? <laughs> I'd be like, mm-hmm. what? You know, I was like, try it. Try that awkward silence. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a really spacious yeah. day. And just yeah. seeing that comes, it's like, you know, horrible. I feel bad, you know, not to reciprocate mm. with that same stress. So Firstly, it's having awareness. Do you want to participate? And if the answer is no, then it's going through, okay, what can you do to not participate into that so you can value your time more? And firstly, it's about just starting there, I would say. I love that. And then from there going, okay, what is my value? Like what's my intrinsic value? What am I here to do? Where, where do I create impact in people's lives? Like honing in on what that is and making that enough. So that means letting go. Like your ego is not going to like it because that means saying you're not good at other stuff, not into that, not good at that, not yeah. good at that. And that can take time, you know, because like what, you're basically saying I'm not perfect and I'm okay with that. I'm not perfect. I'm okay with that. I'm here to help people with their life admin, but I'm not great over here. Like I'm actually terrible. And it's coming to that confidence and that comfort within yourself to be able to say that. But a big part of that process is identifying you know, what are you here to do? Where do you create impact in people's lives? And just taking a moment to dive into that and 
making that enough. Yeah. There's so, there's so many of these sort of decisions, like, like once you tap into your values and really get clear about your goals and priorities, it impacts just so many areas of your life. If you're kind of trying to make the direct line between that and, you know, how you spend your time and whether you outsource and, and your level of stress and burnout, it's worth mm. taking that time to just ask yourself these questions and really think about it because it does have this domino effect across so many dimensions Absolutely. of your life. Absolutely. And once you make peace with what you do really well, you start to outsource. You know, like I've got a bookkeeper and my clients, are they think it's funny because I teach money mindset, but I should just be all over every element of my, I'm like, man, I'm like, I can be a real bottleneck in my admin business side. I've got to outsource that shit. Like that's not my zone of genius at all. I call my bookkeeper the queen, like anything's with your payments or whatever. Please don't ask me because I, if I had my way, I probably wouldn't charge you. I probably would invoice you every two months. I'd forget. So, and it's okay to say that, you know, and I think a lot of people are like, oh, teaches money mindset. He doesn't <laughs> like that. But yeah, I'm, I know what I do really well. And if I want like consistent invoicing and stuff, I need to use technology or get a great mm. bookkeeper. And I've outsourced mm. that. And there's no shame there. It's, you know, it's releasing the guilt and the shame of not knowing everything. So speaking of guilt and shame, what are some of the typical money fears you hear from clients? I guess it is, I'm not enough. You know, I'm not consistent enough. I'm not good enough. It's the not enoughness, Mm. you know. So if I say for women in business, they would say, I'm not consistent enough. You know, I don't show up. I'm not not consistent enough. I don't have a routine. I don't have a crate. an amazing funnel, like they feel like there's this one thing that's Mm. missing. So they're on this perpetual cycle to perfect, like their website's not done. There's always something that makes them not ready to receive. Mm -hmm. And if I think about other women, it's, you know, I don't have the skills. I don't have the experience. I don't have the exposure. I'm not like that. I don't, it's the not enoughness. Mm. So that's definitely what I hear. Like I'm not enough to receive what I truly desire. Mm. I mean, and how does this play into money mindset? When we think we're not enough, we unknowingly block ourselves from receiving because when you're in not enoughness, you're in a closed space. You're leading from fear. So I have this concept where I call it the receiving valve. And it's like, imagine like a big pipe going through your chest and through that comes money, love, clients, adoration, affection, attention. All of these beautiful things come from that space. Now, when you are in fear, right? So you're in not enoughness, you think you're not good enough. So you start to work harder. I need to do more. I need to be more because where I am right now is not good enough. You are in like this masculine space where you're trying to control everything, right? Because in that moment, if I go, man, don't worry about it. Just like, just trust and surrender. It doesn't feel mm. safe. You're like, no, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. This isn't enough. That's not, I need to upskill. I need to fix my website. I need to, you know, it just doesn't give our, our human brain enough to hold on to. So we start to try and control things, but we're starting to control things, but we don't actually have an end destination. So that's when you find, you know, women can get stuck at the same salary or their business gets stuck or they get stuck at that same income level because they're, or they're spending proportionately to what they're receiving. So they're always breaking even. So they might be making more money, but they think they need to spend more to get to that next level, but it's not going as planned. It's about going, okay, when I feel like I'm not enough, I'm leading from fear. When I'm leading from fear, that makes me not a magnet to money, right? When I'm in fear, that's a masculine energy. Like we start to lead with a masculine energy. We would like to control things. A feminine energy is when we're in surrender. Mm. You know, we're happy to relax. We're in surrender and self-trust. Money is a masculine energy. So if you're in your masculine energy in fear and you're trying to attract money, think of two magnets that are coming together and they're just dropping. 
feel like I don't get it. I'm working really hard. I'm doing all the things, but I can see it. It's out of reach. It's just not coming. And that's why. And I think a lot of women perhaps aren't taught that or perhaps aren't even aware of that. So we've got that hustle culture where women are burning themselves out and exhausting themselves, but not necessarily receiving the money that they mm. desire. And there's a disconnect as to Nicole, why. What do you mean by money is a masculine energy? Well, money's moving, right? So it's, it's always moving. So money's like an energy. It's moving around. We're spending it. It's not designed to just stay idle mm. in your purse. So the theory with economics is money's either being spent or yeah. invested. There's only comes that's and it the goes. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't just sit and mount. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you're either spending it in the economy and generating mm. economic activity. Now, whether you're spending it on personal pleasure and enjoyment and all of those things, or you're investing it, whether you're investing it in bricks and mortar, in online currencies, in your business, in your personal development. So money's moving, like it's chasing. It's kind of primitive. It's always on the go. So when we want to attract it, you want to sort of lean into that feminine energy of self-trust and surrender. Easier said than done. I totally get that. Yeah. That, that. It can be easy. I don't mean it like that. You can absolutely work on that stuff yeah. yourself. So there's no reason why you can't so, learn. Can you say that money well. mindset is really that idea of like living in abundance rather than coming from a place of fear or is there more to it than that? Yeah, the essence of it is that and it's like your emotional relationship mm. with money. Like, what is your emotional relationship with money? And going, okay, where do I value spending? Yeah. Where do I value spending? So, like, for me, it's not in designer handbags. It's in experiences. You know, I like nice things, nice experiences. I'm not necessarily one, you know, I'd appreciate if someone gave me yeah. something. Like, okay, come on. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, i got to go buy that bag. So I think first it's like, okay, where do I value spending my money? And making that okay. Mm. You know, because once you go, oh, I'm okay, that's where I spend, it's then that's like, Women need permission because mm. we're thinking that we, we're taught that we have to perfect everything and know everything and it can get overwhelming. You start to go, oh, my God, I'm shit over here, but I'm spending here, but I'm spending, I don't know what I'm doing, and it can feel overwhelming. So I think it's just getting an understanding of where you value spending, like what feels mm. good for you. And also, you know, how do you want to feel around money? Because my version of abundance is different to your version of abundance and there's nothing wrong mm. with that. And this is interesting because people can fall into that comparison trap, right, of, of what the other people think money is for and how it should be spent. It does take a lot of, of integrity to just say, you know, whoa, this is what works for me. I think this is a good segue into the money yeah. archetypes because this gives people a yeah. sense of the different kinds of, you know, money personalities out there because there are very much trends and patterns that you must see a lot of that we would probably all relate to in terms of people's relationships with money and their, and their strengths. Do you want to talk us through the, the different archetypes? Absolutely. So the money personalities is basically we all have a money personality profile. There are eight money personalities and our top three influence the way, the way we like to spend, invest, receive money and give us an overall feel of our emotional relationship with money. Our number one money personality is like our natural lead, like how we like to lead and how we like to make decisions. And our two and three, it's kind of like our alternative settings. You know, when you sort of sit and reflect on a decision, you're like, oh, or I could do it like this, or I could do it like that. That's your two and three. So they're all mm. very different before I go into this. All the money personalities are really different and they all have the propensity to create wealth, each and every one of them. So it's not like one is better than the other. 
And that's why I think it's so important that we know our money personality because it can be easy to look at what someone else is doing. That's what I see a lot of, you know, that's how they're doing it. And I'm like, that's their money personality. And I've worked with them actually. And this is yours and you're a polar opposite. So if you're trying to box yourself in to that person's style or that person's way of working or, you know, you're looking over the fence, which, you know, for a lot of women, that's what we can do when looking for direction and guidance when it comes mm-hmm. to money. You're going to be that not enoughness that we spoke about. That's just going to get exacerbated even more. The fear is going to blow out and that's how it sort of cycles. Each of the money personalities has a light side and a shadow side. So it's another, you can say a good and a bad if you want to simplify it. There's no such thing as bad. It's just being aware of the money trip hazards of each so you can navigate around them. So I'll kick off with our accumulator money personality. So accumulator is the inner banker of the money personalities and they've got great money skills. So they monitor what's coming in and what's coming out. They're very across what they're spending and what they're investing. So the accumulator is great at making money and making great and smart investment decisions. They've got great integrity. People really trust them with their money. People like to receive, you know, off the cuff financial advice for them. They're that friend who's got, seems to have it together in inverted commas when it comes to money. And they've got their house, they've got an investment, the business is pumping along, really organized. They love detail. They absolutely love detail. I'm waiting for Dana to go, bingo. <laughs> you, you let us know, Dana, when we get yours. I was just waiting for you, Nicole, to say that they like spreadsheets and then I was going to go, this is <laughs> definitely that's me. Well, they're commonly in, not always, but they're often in like some kind of financial services background. Not always, but it's not uncommon for an accumulator to be in like a financial yep. services environment. Now, the shadow side of the accumulator, sorry, they attach money to personal freedom. So they like to accumulate money. So if you think of like an accumulator would love to be stuffing like cash under the mattress in their drawers everywhere. When they've got lots of an lots of accumulation of money, they feel really safe, which is awesome. Now, when it comes to spending money, the accumulator can get very nervous because it can feel like a threat to their personal freedom. So what that means is when it's time to spend, they like to look at the detail, look at the value. They might shop around and shop around and shop around and shop around and get stuck in indecision and not make any decision because it doesn't feel safe. So the accumulator can resist self-trust, right? If they can't see exactly the outcome, the return on the investment, if it doesn't feel clear, they won't make a decision. And what that means is they'll say, I can do it myself. I can just do that myself. I can do that myself or I don't need that right now. So they can forego opportunity, right? That's the shadow of the accumulator. Hmm. Feel free to chime in if this is going to I feel like I'm just a really logical person. So I feel like although I've definitely got some of those attributes, I also am not afraid to spend. Uh, I think probably Mia would, you know, if it's important to me, I'm definitely willing mm. to spend. And the things that I know are important to me, I think. But I do think it's interesting in terms of, you know, understanding that what's important to me might not sometimes be important to my partner. And I think that that's where it gets tricky. And he's definitely not that same money type. He, you know, isn't got a financial background. So that creates interesting challenges, I think, in, you know, when you're managing joint financial affairs uh, in a household. Absolutely. And, you know, you said it sounds familiar, but it might not be you. We have all of the eight money personalities within us. So everything will sound somewhat familiar, but it's about you know, obviously there's a way to ascertain what your top three are. I've got a quiz that I know you're going to refer people to at some point, but it's got, okay, yeah. this feels familiar, but what are my top three? So everything's going to feel somewhat familiar, but you raised a really good point, Dinah, when you said it's interesting how he thinks about money differently, because when I work with accumulators, it's interesting how they feel that people buy 
or that they feel that people need information or they feel that people need a lot of time and a lot of, they assume that everyone buys like they do. They don't assume like impulsivity or that people don't care about the detail or that, or that people might get overwhelmed by too much detail. You know, I, for one, when I, if I'm going to work with you, like I don't need to see you you know, 28 page sales page. I'm not an accumulator, you know, but an accumulator would love a big, long sales page. So that's when it's important to go, okay, when we're looking at marketing, for example, or whether you're pitching at work, going, okay, who am I pitching to? Do they want detail or is that something that is important to me? The accumulator is one of the two broke millionaires of the money personalities. So what that means is they often have deep pockets right? So the accumulator, we said they like to accumulate money, but they can have a broke mindset. So that's when they can think in frugality and, you know, just be reluctant around spending and perhaps you like they, you know, can do it themselves and things like that. That's important. So I'm going to tell you the other broke millionaire later on, and it's the complete opposite of the accumulator. That's why. So keep an eye out for that. Mm -hmm. Next up, we have the alchemist. Your alchemist is your inner idealist. So they're really attracted to making money in unconventional ways. They're very creative, very expansive. And your alchemist is someone who sees a lot of potential. So for example, if you're walking into a shed, an empty shed with an accumulator and an alchemist, an accumulator is going to see a leaky roof. This work needs to be done. They're going to see all the money they need to spend to harness the potential of that shed. Your alchemist, however, is going to go in there and go, oh my goodness, we could use this for retreats. We could Lisa, all, all I need to do is, you know, paint that wall and we could get started. They've got a very genius mind when it comes to creativity. And the alchemist is a very strong manifestor. They're the most powerful manifestors of all the money personalities. So they lead with a very open receiving valve. So they're always led by love and good intentions. And they're all about social impact and what's important to the community. Shadow side for the alchemist is they can have a love-hate relationship with money. So what that means is, although they can attract money very quickly and very easily, probably quicker than the accumulator, they can often repel it just as quickly. And when by repel it, I mean they might rush to spend it. They might rush to give it to people and causes or share it rather with people and causes closest to them. Often the reason that the alchemist can have that relationship with money is because they feel there's a bit of a negative association with wealth. So they can see the world in a bit of a divide of, you know, you're either rich and taking advantage of people or you're poor in inverted commas, but helping. And often they don't want to be a part of that first category. So although they can attract great wealth, they repel it. So an example, everyone knows an alchemist and I'll share something. You know, have you ever met someone who, you know, you might ask to go on a holiday or you've spoken with them like, oh, I can't afford that. I can't, no, I'm not, not in that position. And then next minute you're like, oh, well, yeah, they're going on a Caribbean cruise or <laughs> How, like, they're going, they're flying to Paris for a week. And you're like, that's weird. Or that's random. The alchemist, when they want to do something, they call it in. So their thing is they don't want to have more than what they need because they think it's greedy. But if they need something, they call it in. So a lot of alchemists work with me. So they'll be like, oh, I like your course. And they'll be like, yeah, they'll put a deposit down and just pay the balance, call the money in. Mm. So that's the alchemist. Mia, you're laughing. Do you have any questions? <laughs> <laughs> so when I did your quiz, and we'll link to the quiz in the show notes, 
I came out, we'll get to the connector, but I had, I think connector and alchemist mm. were pretty close mm. in terms of my top two. And then I had a, the third was the accumulator. So yeah, mm. as you were talking through that, there was a lot that was resonating for me. <laughs> awesome. Um, what was resonating? Was there anything you want to share? Well, some of the things around greediness and having too much, seeing creative potential in things. I, I As you were talking about the example with the shed, I was thinking about some conversations I used to have with my ex-partner about like, literally things like that where we'd walk in, he'd be like, oh, this needs fixing and that. And I'm like, oh, my God, but we could do this and we could do that. <laughs> come at it from such different angles. I was always about the potential of something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely looking at the holes. Yes. <laughs> so, Diana, you feel like a mood kill to someone like me who's currently going, yeah. oh, I, I think that's why we work so well together because we have the opposites, yeah. Yeah, but I have a bit of that accumulator. So I think when we think about, like, comparison shopping, for example, and doing that research and looking at the nitty-gritty and comparing options, that comes out really strongly in me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're all at play. It's very fascinating, okay. isn't it? What's next? So next is our celebrity. So our celebrities out in a big shot, they have this energy. So they've got this energy that everyone wants to follow and they really know the value of money. So what I mean by that is they know how to use money as a tool for status, for marketing, for brand awareness. They know and they feel good spending. So you heard me reference that there are two broke millionaires in the money personalities. One's the accumulator. The second is a celebrity. And the reason why they're the broke millionaire is because our celebrity, they've got this incredible energy that everyone wants to follow. They're very magnetic. They attract opportunity very easily and very quickly. And they're not afraid of visibility or putting themselves out there. They're also There is also a side where they're often spending more than what they're making. Often their spending is associated with wanting that external validation right? Because they're always a center of attention. They want to have the nice bag. They want to have the nice clothes. They want to have all of these things. But sometimes what's being reflected on the outside isn't necessarily um, a grounded reflection of what's happening, you know, with their finances behind the scenes. Mm. So we refer to them as the second broke millionaire because the celebrities see the opportunity, right? They see opportunity and they look like the millionaire. So they've got the millionaire mindset, but not the millionaire pocket. We've got empty. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> right? so they're like, you should do this and you should do that. And they're not afraid of going for it. And because they're making mm. Whereas, as we said, the accumulator's got the deep pockets, but the broke mindset, the celebrity's got the millionaire mindset and the, I don't want to say shallow pockets, but they're not deep pockets. So, <laughs> yeah. empty, yeah, pockets. Yeah, empty <laughs> pockets. Now, oh, as you say, Cocking through these, I've, I've got, you know, friends are coming to mind and I'm kind of also thinking about the things you see in social media. I feel like there's got to be a lot of social media profiles that Absolutely. are these Absolutely. celebrity money types who are all just out there, out there, out there. But if you looked at their reality, it'd be quite a different story. Absolutely. But, you know, remembering that when the celebrity has that, you know, if we're looking at the light of the celebrity, they know the value of money. So they're not afraid to chase big opportunities. Like they are not afraid of big numbers. Um, they don't have that hesitancy. They're not like, oh, who could afford that? They're like, yes, people could afford you. Yes, that's not expensive. Yes, you should go for it. So they're actually an incredible energy to have around you to expand your mindset. They're great energy to be around. And that's the value of the celebrity, you know, learning how to harness that energy. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, yeah. No, and I think yeah. it's it is it's interesting when you have a group of friends, and I think there's. Yeah, you know, if you try and organize a group holiday, for example, and you've got one of those celebrity types in there who want to spend a thousand dollars a night on a hotel yeah. room and yes. the rest of people don't, it's a, it can create interesting dynamics. And I'm probably the one who calls it out. I'm the more likely to be the one who says, I don't think everyone wants to spend that amount of money on that. So maybe we should reconsider just something that will fit, you know, everyone's budgets yeah. rather than just your kind of aspiration. Yeah. And so I can be kind of conceived as a bit of the party yeah. pooper in yeah. their minds, I think, whereas, you know, I think it's fair and reasonable as a as a more sensible accountant type. <laughs> well, this is exactly how the money personalities yeah. play out, right? This is how you see it in everyday life. Yeah. This is where this stuff's coming from. I, I would say just if, like if we were working together, Diana, I would say how would it feel to surrender to one of those opportunities and challenge yourself? Because you're saying, I don't want that. But it's sort of like, well, what's that if you haven't let yourself surrender to it? And sort of like tapping into that. Like there's obviously an assumption of what that is without actually stepping into it so that's when we said how the accumulator is like no I like to see what I'm going to get and I've already ascertained what I'm going to get and I don't like it so it's like where is the mystery and that would be a challenge for you potentially like we all want to challenge our money mindset or challenge our resistance points to go okay what's something that potentially I lean into and is there something I take away from that experience and it doesn't necessarily need to be one of the super expensive ones that you practice with, but you know, just something that you play with and go, okay, yeah. that. No, I mean, you've got a good point, but I, I do feel like personally, I do lean into those expensive things when they're kind of really important yeah. to me. And uh, there's the things that I value. I think the trickier thing for me is if I value it and my partner doesn't or yeah. vice versa, it's something that he really values, which I think is a waste mm-hmm. of money. So I think that that's where it becomes tricky in navigating how you sort of compromise on those things because I think that is probably where lots of uh, marriages get into tricky situations around, you know, I think financial problems are the main reason why people separate. And I do think that is around, you know, they place value in different things. So, you know, coming to that with some honesty and understanding why it is um, can help those conversations, I think, quite a lot. What's the next archetype? The next one is connector. So the connector is your inner relationship creator. So your connections help you to create long-term relationships. And the connector's very integrous. So she likes deep and intimate relationships. That's what they value above money, deep and intimate relationships. But they don't necessarily love money per se. They value connection and relationships more than money. Your your connector is someone who doesn't want people to miss out. So they want to be inclusive. They want to share experiences with everyone. They're often at networking events, including other people, making sure no one feels left out. They've got extremely high integrity. So if you're doing business with a connector, it's a very integrous. Mia, I know you're number one connector. (laughs) You're very integrous and people feel seen around you. So what that means is there's absolutely no judgment from a connector. So when you're in the presence of a connector, you really feel seen, heard and understood. The key for the connector is, we said from a shadow perspective, they don't necessarily like money because they value connection more so, but it's about learning how to leverage your relationships to create financial success. You know, commission sales, is it introducing people? Like, what does that look like? 
How does that feel? Does that resonate? Mm, and I think that's the bit that I felt a bit uncomfortable with mm. about this archetype. I was like, ooh, that feels that feels a bit slimy to me, to be honest. Yeah. That's the feeling that comes. Yeah. But, you know, bizarrely, you know, like this, the, the most recent job I had was because I put myself out there on LinkedIn and it felt so gross to do it, but I did it and something amazing came back. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, yeah, this, you know, this idea of, of leveraging relationships, oh. it's, I don't know, I've got funny little hang-ups about it, but, yeah, it did, it did yield results. And it's just like getting comfortable with that. It's about finding your level of comfort. So when you're, anytime you're feeling resistance, there's abundance on the other side of that resistance and you don't have to move mm. that resistance. Like sometimes resistance can feel like a freight train. You're like, no, that's not for me. Not, you know, we've all done that, but it's about going, okay, leaning in gently into that resistance. And if you said it's about that reluctancy to leverage from relationships, like what does that mean about me? If I make money from relationships, I'm not genuine. I'm greedy. Like I, I don't want to put words out there, but yeah. what comes up? And then going, and that's it. Because you're describing at the start of it, you know, talking about they like deep relationships, yeah. and so I don't want anything to come across as transactional. Yeah. I think that's where my mind goes when I think about leveraging relationships in that yeah. way. Okay. All right, let's keep moving. What's the next archetype? The next one is Maverick. You're in a rebel with the cause. So Mavericks are very entrepreneurial. They don't like process. They like to break rules and they like speed and edge. So they like to do things. <laughs> differently so your maverick is really good at taking risks they've got a soft spot for the underdog so if they see someone who perhaps doesn't feel as confident whether it's talking about money or talking about a skill that they have they like to help people so they get great satisfaction from helping others but they like things that are edgy and fast the shadow mm-hmm. side of a maverick is they can play with or gamble with their financial security so mavericks can dive into something they lack variety and spontaneity and then think of the repercussions later. Now, sometimes they pull it up and sometimes they don't. So there can be quite a few ebbs and flows for a maverick, whether it be in their career or in their business. And the key for the maverick is, you know, balancing that risk and going, okay, identifying that you have a strong appetite for risk, but then going, okay, how can I create security perhaps in one area? How can I make security not feel boring? Because that's, I'm a maverick in my eyes and my, I'm an maverick. I, I was going to say, God, what are you? Yeah. Yeah. So it's about creating stability in one area because sometimes stability can seem boring. And then going, okay, where can I play with other offers or where can I play with other opportunities about, you know, making money or making decisions at home or with my life that, you know, feels a bit fun and a bit different. Mm-hmm. So where can I get mm-hmm. that hit elsewhere? Or where can I balance that hit with say, how can I balance that feeling of variety and safety? Oh, I'm just thinking about in, you know, romantic relationships in couples, if, if you were with a maverick and you're oh <laughs> another kind of, oh my God. <laughs> like it, you just yeah, want to be having some really clear conversations and getting on the same page about things because that could be a roller coaster ride that has some people like hanging on for dear life absolutely and like mavericks and accumulators are great together because they have that opposite and that polarity there so there is that safety from the accumulator for example where someone you know is 
you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's, but it's also that stretch for the accumulator as well to step out and try new things. Because as we know, relationships are about compromise. So there might be a few eye rolls, but, you know, there's a compromise on both parts. And then for the maverick, there's that, oh, they said no, or they don't think it was a good idea and, you know, boring. But, you know, there's also that element of safety that gets introduced there as well. Mm. So that can be quite an interesting union, but also it can activate a lot of money stories and resistance, which we don't often like, but so important to activate that resistance, work through it, release it, heal it so that you can get to your next level. Yeah, fascinating. So we've got what, three more to go. So we've got nurture. So our nurturer is our inner sponsor. I want you to think of that really maternal energy. That's the nurturer. So she's very generous, wants to protect and shelter and nurture others. And the nurturer appreciates money, right? They actually appreciate money. However, they can feel the need to overgive for everything that they receive. And back to how we were talking before that glorification of busy, that often can come from this element here where you've got women who are very nurturing and very loving, but perhaps feeling like they need to give their time, they need to give more money, they need to give whilst they're receiving. So like I said, the nurturer is likes money, but they're motivated to give generously, often at the sacrifice of themselves. So for the nurturer, a lot of their self-worth comes from compassion and giving and being there for other people. Mm-hmm. The key with the nurturer is you want to help people, right? That's what makes you feel good. And I often hear women go, oh, you know, if we're looking at their money personality, like, oh, I'm just, you know, there's no direct impact to money or business with who I am. Is that is that enough? And I put that in inverted commas, that not enoughness comes up again. And I always like to say, mm-hmm. you know, imagine when you're a child and you had that maternal energy around you, whether that came from your mother or a female guardian in your life, and you felt safe and protected. That is the gift of the nurturer. You know how to walk in and hold such deep space for people. I've got goosebumps that whether you're in a corporate mm-hmm. setting or you're in a consulting setting or you have your own business, that's what you bring to the team. And you know, like we say, there's nothing like that maternal energy. Mm-hmm. As adults, we all have an inner child within us that often gets forgotten about. You know, we hear words about adulting and things like that, but that's not true. There's an inner child in all of us. And when there's so much fear, our inner child is scared too, right? When we're talking about money fears. So having that nurturing energy is really powerful and really beautiful. So something that the nurturer wants to keep an eye on is, yes, caring for others is important, but caring for yourself, caring for yourself first actually cares for others more. I'm going to say that again. Caring for yourself first actually cares for others more. It's that oxygen mask kind of analogy, isn't it? So I think it's a trick sometimes when it comes to money in terms of actually realising that, you know, and I I guess I work in philanthropy. It's a really interesting idea that you can actually accumulate your wealth and then use it to do good rather than feeling like you need to give it away as soon as it walks in the door. So I do think that that's, you know, it's an interesting thing that often I see men are better at doing than women. Men feel much more confident to say, I'm going to grow my wealth and then I'm going to, you know, then I'm going to use it to, you know, help the causes that I'm passionate about. Whereas women feel like they need to almost give straight away. So I think that's an interesting one. Absolutely. It's our conditioning, right? Give and nurture. Like we're conditioned, women have been conditioned to give and to nurture, whether you're, you know, creating a home or children, that sort of, that was a woman's role up until not too long ago. Like opportunity like there is now for women to make money, you know, it's not generations and eons and centuries old. 
it's relatively mm. new. So if I ask you know, everyone listening, was your did your grandmother have the opportunity to be a primary breadwinner? What would you say? And most people would say, oh, no, if anything, she might have worked part-time or something mm. gentle. She didn't necessarily hold, you know, the financial burden on her shoulders. And here we are now two generations on and we have that opportunity, but we have those oh, that old conditioning of nurturing mm. still there. So it's about you know, learning to find the balance. And one thing I want to say to the nurturers listening, if this feels resonant for you and you feel like you want to help other people, when you care for yourself first, you hold your vibration really high, right? So you you stay out of fear. So sometimes giving is actually from fear, fear of not being enough. So you give, give, give to be told thank you, to be told you're amazing, to be told all these beautiful things which are great, but eventually don't pay the bills. So then you get frustrated and annoyed. So it's about holding your your value high, not jumping to rescue people. And by not jumping to rescue people, you give people the opportunity to step up into their highest vision, into their highest version of themselves too. When it comes to kids too, I think that's a really interesting one when it comes to giving your kids money and bailing them out of problems that they create you know, from a very early age versus letting them live the consequences of losing the item or, mm. or need, you know, whatever. So I'm a big believer in that one, like letting the kids learn the consequences of their actions when it comes to money in terms of, you know, developing that sense of what the value of things is and how hard it is to work to pay something back. But, yeah, Absolutely. I think it's a really interesting one that some people, you know, just bail their kids out immediately. Absolutely. And you can apply it in, you know, workplace settings with teams, you know, like are you picking up the slack for your team because you just want to get it done? I hear in a lot of nurturers, get, just want to get it done. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, you don't want to hold space. If you really want to get it done, that's self-motivation. That's that's about you. You know, you're not you're not serving when you're doing that. You're not really helping the team because you're not actually creating opportunity for the team to grow or opportunity for the children to grow or opportunity for your client to grow. If you're just making yourself feel like you're the jack of all trades, doing everything and feeling good in that moment. So again, you can see the challenge, what the challenge would be for a nurturer, letting go of that feel good hit Mm. to create space for others to rise to the occasion. Okay, so I think we've got two left, Nicole. Two, let's do it. So we've got our romantic. Our romantic is our inner headiness. They're, they're similar to the celebrity. They like sensory pleasure and they like things to feel good. They don't like being a slave to money. Uh, they believe money's, money's there to be enjoyed. They like to indulge themselves to feel special. So romantics are great at treating themselves, spoiling themselves, where it makes them feel good. Unlike the celebrity, they're not necessarily, for example, going to the best day spa so they can tell everyone that they went to that day spa. They might go to, up the road to the lady who does massages from home though, you know, and create luxurious experiences for them. The romantics love ease. So romantics can often get a bad rap that they're lazy, but I love romantics because they will find the quickest shortcut to anything. They are great in a team setting. They'll find a shortcut. So I'll be like, why are we doing all that? So if you put a romantic and an accumulator together, the accumulator is following the process meticulously. But the romantic is like, why are we doing that? We can just cut out all those four steps and go straight to the end result. So from that element, they're great. And they teach us, you know, the importance of valuing that personal pleasure and joy. I think that I think that children are romantics because they're very I mean, self-absorbed. <laughs> they don't yeah. want to spend money on themselves generally. So yeah. <laughs> it's really funny, isn't it? Children are great examples of going, no, I don't want to because I don't want to. And 
yeah, that's what I want because it feels easy and I can't be bothered. But for adults, there's this connotation that, you know, if you lean into ease mm. or you give yourself an afternoon nap, that, you know, who do you think you are? Like, we're all here on, like, mice on a cheese wheel being busy and important <laughs> and you, it's okay to go for an afternoon massage. So the shadow side for the romantic is they like to spoil people and give abundant gifts and all of those things, but often their spending can be motivated from feeling unfulfilled. So that's something to keep an eye on. And, yes, you can create financial security whilst living life till its fullest but it's also about asking yourself how can I create security and do both like you don't have to be just indulging yourself all the time because it can feel like a bit of a bottomless pit if you're not mindful yeah that's really interesting I'm sure lots of people can relate to that idea of you know retail therapy where you do go and shop to fill some kind of emotional void that you might not be quite aware of it's just, you know, spending, if you're feeling unappreciated or unloved, whether you're exhausted and you're tired and you're feeling appreciated at work or in your relationship or in your business, you know, you're getting that hit elsewhere. And what can you do to tweak that? So you do feel more appreciated and more loved. Perhaps it's speaking up. Last one. Last one. The yeah. lucky last is the ruler. So the ruler is the inner empire builder. So the ruler has this dream of creating an empire where everybody is thriving. They are always on the go. They're very determined. The ruler does not sit on the sidelines. If they've got an idea, they will execute execute it 150%. They don't wait. They jump straight in. They're very meticulous with detail, a little bit like our accumulator. They love detail. They can also be quite perfectionistic or their business and work can dominate a lot of their time. And that's because they have this strong association where their work or their business is their identity. So often for rulers, there can be an imbalance. So when we spoke about that glorification of busy and how it's like, it, you know, you're successful if you're busy, that's definitely a ruler, a ruler trait. And rulers, they often fear losing control of money and power and identity. So that's why they're constantly going to build, build, build more, more, more. Rulers in one of my top three, just for just for complete transparency here. <laughs> So, you know, I can definitely, this is, she's a very strong money personality that I've had to do a lot of work on to create balance in my life. Because I used to tell myself, I just like work. I love it. I just, I like it. Like, I don't care to work for 12 hours. Like, why is that a problem? And it took me ages to be like, oh, I'm resisting ease. Like the ruler resists ease as well, right? Because she's working hard all the time. And there can be an imbalance between the ruler's personal life and her work or business life. So it's about having that awareness and going, okay, ruler, we know you want to create an empire where everybody thrives. We know you love the fast lane, but how sustainable is it to always be in the fast lane? Yeah, so I think I was the ruler and I let it go. Mm. (laughs) I had an epiphany and let go of being a ruler. There you go. And that's, you know, that's great awareness. And it's not necessarily, it's just having awareness of where you can keep the good traits, right? And we don't want to get rid of the other traits. The other traits are conduits to abundance. So when you're saying, you know, Dinah, you let it go, you've obviously worked through going, you know what, I don't need to work that hard. I can do this. I can make money more easily. I, you know, I can receive rest and relaxation and good health without I don't have 1% of more in me. I just, this is something. I don't know so many people who are like this. It's funny, you know, when you talk about 
realize that not everyone's wide like you. It's one of those wake up calls that, that I really realize, oh, people are so different. Yes. Just don't, you know, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So and yeah, and I mean, the thing when it comes to life admin, it really um, helps you understand what motivates some people to be really on top of their comparison shopping and on top of all of those financial affairs and why others you know really struggle I guess Mm. um, to put that to the top of their priority list and being a bit aware of why you're wired in that way can really help overcome some of those challenges absolutely absolutely (laughs) so you know just to wrap up the ruler it's about achieving wealth with grace and ease and asking yourself how can I create wealth and abundance in my life with grace and ease what rules can I let go of you know, and I've dropped a rule here, like the rule that it has to be hard. You know, what are some rules that I have to let go of or that I could let go of? You don't necessarily have to. If you're just proposing, what are some things that, you know, if you were to make money and create abundance with grace and ease, what could that look like in this ideal world and going from there? Yeah, thank you so much for so generously walking us through those archetypes. I'm sure as people are listening, they're nodding furiously or shaking their heads as you're as they're hearing these descriptions uh, and realize how these tendencies and these traits play out in everyday life it's been wonderful listening to this tell us about your 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 money mindset mastery program yeah of course it was a pleasure to share all of that with you so money mindset mastery is a container where we dive into your money personality and the idea is that you learn how to fully leverage your money personality to Create a business and a life where you're creating abundance in a really easeful, organic and natural way. So it's a space for you to work through your emotional relationship with money. And we spoke about resistance points there. And also a space for you to learn how to really leverage the strengths of your money personality using language that feels really powerful and feels really powerful and impactful to the people that you're serving, but also powerful and impactful for you to share from. It's a four-month mastermind container where we dive deep into all things money for you. That's Money Mindset Master. Well, that's amazing, Nicole. So can you just tell our listeners uh, where they can find your website? We will put it in the show notes, but, you know, you can also jump onto your website and do that uh, money personality quiz and and learn about your money personality. So where should they go um, if they want to do that quiz? Absolutely. I spend a lot of time on Instagram, so... You're welcome to come over to Instagram. It's Nicole Alessios. I'm sure you'll spell it out now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the, the quiz is in my link in bio. And do your quiz, see your result. Feel free to DM me. I love hearing people go, oh, my God, that sounded like me or that resonated, but that bit didn't. So happy to hear from you in DMs as well. So jump on over to Instagram. So thanks so much. It's been lovely chatting with you today. Thank you so much for having me. It was so awesome chatting with you both. Thanks for listening. Show notes for this episode are available at lifeadminlifehacks.com. And if you're a fan, please subscribe and share the love and tell a friend or review us in your podcasting app. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. When it comes to clothes, it's great to have options. But having pieces that you can wear anywhere is a must for everybody. That's why American Giant makes clothing that fits into your life seamlessly with quality you have to feel to believe. And with an impressive selection of staples to choose from, there's something for everyone. So whether you're on the hunt for the perfect t-shirt, a solid pair of jeans, or super soft sweatshirts, American Giant has what you're looking for. 
Each American giant piece is designed to last and created with commitment to doing things better. And all their products are made right here in America. Because keeping things local ensures the kind of quality you'll feel and appreciate for years to come. Discover the American giant difference today. Shop where anywhere closet staples at American-Giant.com. And get 20% off your first order when you use code WA23 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code WA23.